Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. starting this week off here in church. It has been a challenging year last year and a challenging week, but today is the day that starts a brand new week. Are you glad? We are in a series called Redo, and Redo is not going back and changing everything in the past because we can't do that. But what we can do is we can take the lessons that we learned in the past and we can put them in the backpack for our future and we can get on the right track. Hey, first thing I want to do is just jump on and welcome everybody that's joining us online from all over the world. I know the first service we had South Africa included in there. I know we have all of our residents at the Charlotte Mecklenburg Detention Center joining us. We are so glad that you are now a part of the church family. We just welcome you with open arms, and I'm excited. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to speak to all of you, so welcome to Freedom House. We've got Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, New York, Texas, Virginia, and Washington, so so glad all of those states are joining in as well. Glad that you guys are in the room. You know, I didn't enjoy all of the things that happened last year, and honestly, I haven't enjoyed all of the things that happened this past week. But one thing that I do know is that troubled times make for a really great teacher. And I think if we can learn to take the lessons of things that happened and maybe become a little bit wiser and a little bit smarter, because here's the thing, it's not if troubled times happen, it's when they happen, right? And then even further than that, it's how We handle when troubled times happen, and I don't think necessarily um, we always handle the how part so well. In Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and Silas give us a really great opportunity to learn the how part of it. Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, right? 
They're out preaching the gospel, and something happens. There's a, a demonic oppressed girl. She literally has got demons that she is possessed by, and she's been following them around as they've been going and ministering the gospel. And the Bible says that she became an irritation to them because she kept shouting out to them as they were trying to preach the gospel. So they called that demonic spirit out of her, and literally that word right there translate the demonic spirit that was oppressing her was called spirit of python. And how many of you know what a python does? It squeezes. So this spirit was squeezing her, and they cast that demonic spirit out in the name of Jesus. Because how many of you know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Everyone will drop their knee to the name of Jesus, every single one of us. So that demonic spirit flees from her. But not everybody was happy about her freedom. You see, those who had something in mind for her future that wasn't so good, they were pretty upset that she was now free because demonic spirits talk to one another. And so the demonic spirit that was in her would talk with other demonic spirits and what they would do. See, demons can't predict your future, but they can talk about your past. As a matter of fact, they always like to bring up your past. God can tell the future, but what the demons can do is they can talk about where you've been and what happened. So you have this demonic spirit that was inside of this girl and her slave owner. She was a slave girl. They were profiting off of this demonic spirit because people would come and ask questions about their life and she would begin to tell them under the influence of a demonic spirit. So they decided they were going to charge for it. And so they were making money off this girl. But now, all of a sudden, she's set free. And they don't find her so useful anymore. And they're quite agitated with Paul and Silas because they no longer can have this girl as their slave. She is now free. She's walking around free. Her step looks different. Her voice looks different. Her countenance looks different. And not everybody is happy about her freedom. Do you realize when God sets you free, not everybody gets tickled pink about it? So what happens? So they're pretty frustrated and they decide they're going to start, start a coup. They're going to start talking bad about Paul and Silas. And really all Paul and Silas was doing was what God had asked them to do is go about healing those who were sick and oppressed and watching them get set free. They're pretty irritated. They're frustrated because they're like, we can't use her anymore if you're going to go setting people free. So what happens in Acts chapter 16, verse 20? It says, and they brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates brought them in front of the leaders, the rulers. And these men being Jews, they said, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us because we're Romans. They're Jews. They're not lawful for us to receive or even to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, when they had beaten them over the back mercilessly, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge... 
He put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So not only are they in prison, but they are now in the inner prison, the deepest, darkest part of the prison. And now their feet are in stocks. They're in chains. I don't know about you, but that feels like a little bit of a dumpster fire to me. That feels like not such a good day. God, I am preaching your word. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And people are talking bad about me. They're saying things that are untrue about me. They're starting a coup in the city. And I'm being accused of things that I didn't do. What in the world? And now I'm being thrown in prison over it. I'm being beat. And the Romans, they loved to torture people. They would put people out and make a display of them openly. They'd beat them and whip them and mock them. And after they would do that, they'd put their clothes back on them so the blood would dry and stick to them, and then they'd rip it off again. It was just a constant torture. And then they put them down in the belly of the prison. Roman imprisonment was no joke. It was a big thing. And here you are, you're going, wait a second. God, I was just doing what you asked me to do, and this is where I end up. I mean, some of us are feeling kind of that way about last year or even this past week. God, what the heck is going on? Maybe maybe we're feeling the stripes on our back. Or maybe we've been in that dark place and, and we're... God is trying to bring us out into the light and our focus hasn't even adjusted yet because we're, we're just trying to get a clear vision because we've been in a dark place for such a long time. Maybe we are feeling where the shackles were around our wrists still. We've got marks that are left over or around our ankles and we're going, I don't understand. Why am I in this place? Why has this happened? I surely like a redo. Well, what happened with Paul and Silas when they were in this place? What did they do? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, which is the darkest hour, at their darkest hour, Paul and Silas complained and got angry with God. Is that what it says? Isn't that what most of us would do, quite honestly? If you just beat me up, you strip me naked, that's pretty scary. You put me in prison, you've bound me. I'm just saying, I don't know about you. I'm sure y'all are way more holy, but I'm not sure the first thing I would do in the depths and the belly of the prison is to pray and sing hymns to God. Maybe you would. I'm sure you would. You're not like the first crowd. This is like the holy crowd, right? You know, the first crowd, they just try to beat the Baptists to the buffet. That's why they come to the first service. But you guys, like you're holy. You've already had your quiet time with God this morning. Like you've come and you are so hungry. You are ready to be filled by God. I'm sure you would sing and pray and you would be on your face before the Lord in the darkest of places just like they were. Here's the thing I want you to hear is this next part. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Did you know that there are people that are listening to your response to pain? 
wanting to see how you are going to handle yourself, especially if you call yourself a Christian? How is, how is she handling this? How is he handling this? Listening, watching. And then it says, suddenly, don't you love the suddenlies of God? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors, all of the doors of all of the prisoners, everyone's chains were loosed. Your worship and your praise in a dark time when people are watching won't just loosen your chains or open your prison cell. Did you know everybody in the sound of your voice, their cell will open too? If you have the right spirit. If you have the right spirit. Someone's listening to you in your darkest hour. Despite the chains, despite the stripes, there's always the suddenlies of God if we're willing to endure sometimes. The thing that's so amazing about this passage is if you keep reading, the prisoners were not the only ones that were listening. The Bible says the jailer was listening as well. And Paul and Silas lead the jailer to the Lord. And then they go to his house and his whole family gets saved. And then after they all get saved, they all get baptized. Wait, how can something good come from such a bad situation? Because God will always take a messy situation and use it. He will never waste a hurt. In other words, whatever you've been through, if you just hand it over, he's not done. He's not done. He's not finished. So when the people of the city and the magistrates see this, they're freaking out like, oh my gosh. The whole jail crumbled. Something must be going on here. Like everybody's changing. Their chains are gone. The prison's crumbled. So what does it say they do? They asked Paul and Silas just to kind of, can you just kind of under the radar go and leave the city? I mean, yeah, I know we beat you openly and publicly. And I know we tortured you. And I know we did all these things. But, but it's okay if you go ahead and go. Could you just go under the radar? Just quietly sneak out of town? What I love is their response because they are about to drop some bombs. Acts chapter 16, it says, but Paul said to them, Paul says back to them, they have beaten us openly. We're uncondemned Romans. That is a major bomb right there. You see, sometimes when we're reading scriptures, we don't realize all that is actually involved. When he said we are uncondemned Romans, if you remember what they said before, they said, hey, we're the magistrates, we're Romans, you're Jews. They had no idea that Paul and Silas had a Roman citizenship which was very elite. Only a few people had a Roman citizenship. What would that look like in 2021? It's like you saying, I've got diplomatic immunity. You can't touch me. He drops a bomb on them, and they are like, 
oh my gosh, we literally just beat and tortured a Roman citizen. It's like a major freak out moment. He said, we are uncondemned Romans and, have, and you have thrown us into prison. And now they put us out secretly? Oh, no, uh-uh, ain't no way, honey. You ain't putting me out secretly. No, indeed, exclamation point. Let them come themselves and get us out. Now, there's something very interesting about that passage to me. Because again, if I'm being honest, and, and maybe you just take a look at yourself, if I'm being honest and I've got diplomatic immunity, I'm kind of going to tell you that before you beat me up in the first place. I'm kind of going to let you know before you throw me in a Roman prison. I'm kind of going to let you know before you strip me down naked because that is not a good day. Mm-mm. Not a good thing. Why in the world did Paul not declare his Roman citizenship before? Because he wanted them to know the most important thing to him was his citizenship in heaven. That citizenship comes before anything else. And he made a strong line in the sand. I am a citizen of heaven before I am a citizen of Rome. And I want you to understand that before you are a citizen of the United States of America, you are a citizen of heaven. That is where you call first. There is nothing wrong with pulling out that blue passport. I've done it a time or two when I've traveled. And I thank God for our country. Did you know that even though America has made mistakes, the United States of America is not a mistake? I still pray God bless America. I love our country, but my first citizenship is that of the kingdom of heaven. That is my first place. And they understood, we're going to call on the kingdom of heaven and watch what God can do. Because had God not have moved first in that, if they would have just called on their citizenship of Rome, none of those things would have happened. Hey, it may have avoided them a little bit of trouble, but it certainly wouldn't have brought about all the change that we're seeing. In other words, a little bit of trouble ain't such a bad thing because people start realizing where they need to to put their faith in. And it's not a system, it's the system. God can change any situation, even at the darkest hour. And I love that he says he won't go quietly because I appreciate that. That's a scripture I'm going to stand on. I think I'm going to quote that on my Instagram account today. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know I will. Girl loves her Instagram. The thing that I love here is that Paul moves on from this and he has lots of different journeys where he's facing things. And he's in another prison in another city, but he sends a letter back here to Philippi where he planted a church right there in that city. 
where all this happened with a demon-possessed girl. And he sends this letter back. It's the letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. And in Philippians 4.4, he wrote this, and he says this to that church that he started there. And I think it's a good thing we can understand because he is saying this while he's in prison. Hello, Charlotte Mecklenburg Detention Center. He is saying this while he is imprisoned. He said, here's what I want you to know, Philippian church. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't get it the first time, and again, I say, rejoice. How can somebody that is locked up continually for doing nothing wrong continually rejoice? Because he understood his citizenship in heaven first. Can I ask you a question today? Do you understand where your citizenship is? Have maybe you slipped into autopilot and forgotten? you just kind of going about the motions, going about things? You know, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, God says, where are you? Now, how many of you know it wasn't because they were playing hide-and-go-seek and they had a really good hiding spot and God just couldn't find them? He's God, right? He wasn't saying that so he could tag them and say, you're it. God knew where they are, but Adam and Eve didn't understand where they were. And in order for us to get to the next place, we have got to acknowledge where we are now. Where are we? It's what God is asking us today. Have we been anxious? Have we been fearful? Have we been distracted or lacking faith? Or has the thought of uncertainty just captured our minds? Where are we? Do we feel tired, exhausted, frustrated? Are we just waiting for the proverbial other shoe to drop? Where are we? I think it's important that we acknowledge to God where we're at. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm broken. God, I'm disappointed. Why? Because the Bible says that God is made strong in our weakness. And I'd like to even take that a step further and say God is made strong in our admitted weakness. The weakness that we're willing to admit to. But some would say, listen, I want to trust God. I just don't feel like he talks to me. I don't feel like he speaks. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even know really what is voice sounds like. My husband and I were on a plane a few weeks ago, and um, the pilot came on. Brooks came on, and Brooks said, hey, you need a, do you know the spiel, Brooks? Do you know the spiel, the one where you need to tell everybody to put their stuff up because, do you know the spiel? You don't know the spiel? You have the flight attendants do that for you? No? The other guy. Got it. Okay, so the spiel that says, hey, we are about to land. We need you to stow everything, put your tray tables up, put your seat in an upright position. You know all the stuff you're supposed to do. We're going to come through, collect all your garbage. Y'all know the spiel, right? So that comes up over the loudspeaker. 
And then I notice my husband's not moving or reacting. So then I lean over and I say, hey, babe, you need to put your seat up. You need to close your laptop. You need to stow your stuff. They're, they're trying to get your trash. And he doesn't answer me. Why? Because he's got this headset on and he can't hear a daggum thing. And so I have to like elbow him. I'm like, hey, they're trying to talk to you and I'm trying to talk to you. I mean, I'm used to you not listening to me, but for goodness sakes, you need to listen to the pilot. He's like, oh, oh, I didn't hear it. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the pilot talking? Was I talking? Was the problem that the pilot and the wife, who is very equal to the Holy Spirit oftentimes, <laughs> was the problem that we weren't talking? You see, the problem is we often forget to take out the distraction, take off the noise, take off the issues so we can hear God clearly. Because direction was coming from above. And direction was coming in the form of relationship. God was clearly talking. He just wasn't able to hear. Often, that is the same scenario with us. We say, God's not talking. Oh, no, he's talking. How many of you have the, the old school paper Bibles? Anybody got a paper Bible with them? Hold, hold them up if you got them. Anybody brought it to church? My paper Bible does not leave my house. It is very, like, let me see. Shake your paper Bibles, all you old school people. Come on. Yeah, no, you can't shake your phone. It has to be paper. <laughs> paper, okay, okay. Right there in your hand is 1,000 pages of God speaking. When we say God doesn't speak, what we're saying is, is we're not digging in to hear. Because the Bible says that his sheep hear his voice. What I like to do is when I go in and I'm studying the word, I always take pen and paper with me because God is always talking to me. He's always giving me fresh revelation. If we're willing to take off the headset, if we're willing to listen. I want to keep going and I want to hop on over. We're still going to stay in Acts and we're still going to talk about Paul. But we're going to go on over to chapter 28. And this is Paul, who is still a prisoner, but this time in his detained state, he does use his Roman citizenship, and he decides he's going to appeal to Caesar. Now, when you say you have diplomatic immunity, you, you can't touch them. you got to send them back to where they, they're from. You cannot touch them. You have no legal rights to them. So when he appealed to Caesar, they had to send him back to Rome. They could not touch him. So they put him on a boat with a bunch of other prisoners, and they ship him off. Now, Rome is quite a long way away, so it's a big journey. There's a lot ahead of them. And on the journey, he gets shipwrecked. There's this storm that's brewing, and it's intense. It's bad. Lots of stuff is going down. And an angel of the Lord actually comes and talks to Paul, and he says to Paul, Listen, no life will be lost off of the ship but you are going to lose every piece of cargo. You're going to need to start throwing stuff over. Can I just submit to you that in your life, there are some things you need to throw overboard that you don't need to take with you? And they did what we often do. They threw over some of it. And Paul let the jailer know. He said, listen, 
the, the angel of the Lord gave me a clear vision. You, you can't keep any of the stuff. You're going to need to get rid of all of it. They throw over all the cargo, and eventually they end up wrecked. But everybody makes it up onto shore. Every single one of them make it up onto shore. It's raining. It's cold. It's storming. We know at this point they've been two weeks without food. What happens next? I mean, that's kind of like a bad moment, would you say? Do you think he's already been through enough bad moments? I'm not trying to say anything, but, like, I kind of probably would have had a little conversation with God. Like, I'm not super happy that this is going on, that this is happening. I mean, right? This this is kind of not super cool with me, God. But I'm on this island. Okay, God, I'm expecting you when I get on this island to take good care of me because I've had a lot of stuff going on. So, Acts chapter 28, verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, because he's about to start a fire, because he's cold, wet, and hungry, and that is not good when you are cold, wet, and hungry. All right. He gathered a bundle of sticks, and he laid them on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. You have got to be kidding me. Like, seriously? When is enough enough? Haven't I gone through enough already? For reals, for reals, God, what are you doing? It fastened onto his hand. And then on top of that, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, here the rumors start again, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But what did Paul do? He cried, he moaned, and he begged God for it to go away. What did he do? He did the Taylor Swift. It says, but he shook it off. He shook the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. That is what we have to learn to do, is to shake, shake, shake it off. You know what I'm saying? we got to learn to shake things off. Why? Because the longer the snake stays attached to you, the more venom gets pumped into your body. But what we tend to do is when the snakes come out and they latch on, we phone a friend. Guess what happened to me today? Oh, my gosh, this is so... And we're sitting there like, yeah, the snake is like on me right now, and it's really bad, and I can't believe... And then we call somebody else because, see, we're looking more for pity or someone to join our party than we are trying to get rid of what's poisoning us. Don't you know what I've been through? I've been through so much, and now, look, i got a snake. See my snake? We're laughing because that's what we do. We've got to learn to shake it off. Why? Because snakes are attracted to your fire. Learn to shake them off because there's going to be more snakes that come. Snakes are attracted to your light. We just have to get really good at learning to shake it off. 
The thing that's so interesting in this story is that all of this is transpiring, and of course, there's a lot of people in proximity, because anytime you go through a difficult situation, there are people there watching to see how you respond. They watch Paul shake it off instead of succumb to the snake bite. And they're all watching. So this one man comes up to him named Publius, who is a very high-ranking member of society. And he says, hey, my father is sick, by the way. In essence, I'm watching what God is doing in your life despite all the turmoil. And maybe that same God you serve could come over here in my life and help me out a little bit. So what happens, Acts 28, verse 8, it says, And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and he prayed. And he laid his hands on him and he healed him. So when this was done, watch this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Do you notice a pattern? Paul is in prison, and because he worshiped, the whole prison was set free, including the jailer and the jailer's family. Paul was shipwrecked on Malta, and just because Paul was on the boat, the Bible says that 276 people were spared just because he was on that boat. And then when they got off the boat, the guards of the prison were nervous. They're like, we got a bunch of prisoners here. We're kind of nervous. We should just kill them all. And Paul says, no, no, no. You're not going to kill them because the angel of the Lord said no life would be lost. So yet again, he saves them just because of his presence. And then we notice he gets a snake bite. He shakes it off and the whole island gets healed. You want to tell me about your 2020? You want to tell me about your last week? I want to tell you about my Jesus and what he can do despite the snake bite. He's not done. It doesn't matter what we walk through. It doesn't matter what tragedy is. A matter of fact, in the end times, the Bible says these things will happen. It's not that things won't happen. It's just that God has equipped you to rise above it. And the world is looking at you when you do. The world is watching your response. Because how you approach each battle is just as important as the weapon that you choose. We sang a song earlier. This is how I fight my battles. It says, with praise and thanksgiving. We know that's how Paul and Silas got out of their prison, is with praise and thanksgiving. You don't take a knife to a gunfight. You take the right weapons. He kept trusting. He kept worshiping. He kept praying. And in fact, while he was in prison, while he was incarcerated, do you hear me? He wrote nearly two thirds of the New Testament. God has not left you when you go through a hard time. We just have to understand how to be battle ready. When Goliath stood up in front of David, the Bible says that David ran at him. 
He didn't go, oh my gosh, he's so big. Look at his muscles. Like, he's huge. I'm little. I'm small. He ran at him because you and God are a majority. It doesn't matter your situation. doesn't matter what's in front of you. If the God of the living army, if the God of the universe, if the Alpha and Omega is inside of you, you can defeat any foe that comes your way. One of the things I love, I love this story. There's a story about Elisha. And when you first read the story, you might think that it's insignificant, but Elisha was a prophet that took over for Elijah, who was another prophet. When Elijah, Elisha was his understudy, when Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire, he threw his mantle onto Elisha. He threw his anointing onto Elisha, and he got a double-fold anointing, a double portion And not long after that, there's a bunch of guys that are in the city, and they are building the city. And one of them begins to use an axe, and the axe head comes off and goes into the river. Gone. And he's pretty upset about it because it was a borrowed axe. It didn't even belong to him. Now, back in that time, Those were metals that were very hard to come by. They were very expensive. It would be like you losing somebody's car. It's gone. It was quite troubling to him. And so he goes to Elisha, and he begins to tell Elisha what happened in this situation. And I think that the response of what happened is what you and I could look at as far as this last year and what, what transpired. Because Elijah left this double-fold anointing, and when he left it, he left it for use. God doesn't give you the things that he gives you just so it can look pretty or look cute. He gives you them so you can enact them and use them and enact the power of God. So this man comes to Elisha, and he's like, the axe head is gone. It's not a good situation. Last year wasn't a good situation. Last week wasn't a good situation. Can I tell you God cares about what you have lost? Elisha says to him, I'm going to come on the scene. I'm going to go with you. In other words, you're not going to do this by yourself. Elisha is like a type and shadow of God. In the Old Testament, they had to go through the prophets or the priest in order to hear words from God. In the New Testament, Jesus became that high priest. So he says, I care about what you've lost. I'm coming on the scene. And he goes with him. Next thing we see is to cover what you've lost, you've got to look at where it fell. Where did it fall? Elisha said, go show me. Show me where it fell. I want to see where it fell. In order for you to get back on track, you got to know where you fell, where you went off the rails. When did you stop praying? When did you stop trusting? When did you stop believing? The next thing we see in this story is Elisha says, recover it. In other words, your axe isn't gone. Go back to where you left it. Well, 
you know, I can't see it. Like, because I can't see it, it's gone. That's not how God works. He said, I'm a God that recovers all. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean I stop seeing it. So Elisha takes him to where he lost it. Then we know that only God can defy gravity. Only a miracle sometimes can turn our situation around. We may feel like we're underwater. We may feel like we're buried. But God can defy gravity. And the last thing that happens is Elisha takes a stick. Because, see, the stick changes everything. It's not the first time in the Bible that a stick is taken and thrown in the water and used to represent the cross of Jesus Christ. But Elisha takes that stick and he throws it right where the loss occurred. Right where the pain is, right where the hurt is, right where the problem is, the cross is applied to it. And what happens? God resurrects that axe head. That axe head comes up to the surface and begins to float. You and I can't do that. We don't have the power to do that. But God can restore what is lost. He can recover all. But you got to come look for him and tell him what you lost. Say, God, I lost some things. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm a little confused. I'm a little scared. He wants us to be open with him like that. One of the biggest things that I hear from people, particularly public figures, when they walk into church, when Pastor Troy and I have invited them to church. One of the biggest things we hear from people is we hear people say, hey, I can't come to church because, see, you don't know all the things I've done. You don't know the things that I'm dealing with. You don't know the things I did last night. Last year, it was kind of funny, um, but there was a guy in our church who, uh, you know how Facebook can automatically check you into different places if you visit there often? Well, Facebook automatically checked him into the strip club. And then the next morning, it checked him into Freedom House Church. And people were lighting him up on his Facebook account. And he said, you know what? My pastor said today at church that God would rather have me messy than not at all. So I guess he gets me messy. And he took a picture of the chair beside of him. And he said, if you're messy, no matter whether you were at the strip club, no matter where you are, I'm going to save you a seat because I know I'm messy and I admit I'm messy. I'd like for you to come with me next Sunday. And he tagged Pastor Troy and I in that post, probably because he knew we'd find out anyway. So it's just doing damage control. But the thing that I appreciate is not that he was doing everything that he should have been, but he knew that God would rather have him messy than not have him at all. And sometimes we think that we can't bring our mess to God. 
when my kids were little, they were all playing outside in the yard and they were coming in and I noticed that one of them didn't smell so great. I knew somebody stepped in something and I quickly realized it was my son and so I told the girls to go on in the house and I looked at my son I said, hey, we're gonna need to do a little something before you go in. I said, I think you stepped in something. What I didn't say to him is you don't have a place in this house. You're too dirty. You're not good enough. Matter of fact, I'm giving your room to somebody else. Never said that to him. You know what I did say? I want you to come in the house, but I want to help you get your shoes off first. I'd love to help you take your shoes off today. No matter what you've stepped in, no matter what you've walked through, I want to help you take your shoes off. Will you stand on your feet? Whether you're online, whether you're here in the room, I would just like to ask you this question. Do you need a reset? Do you need to start over? Can we help you take your shoes off today? We're not saying we don't want you in the house. We've got a place reserved for you, actually. We're just asking if we can help you. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've walked through, would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Today, if you would say, I need a fresh start, I need a do-over, I need a reset, the Bible says that God is right there. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Even though it may have felt like he has, he's still there. If today, you, that's you, and you say, I just need that reset, would you just lift your hand? You can lift it real quick, and you can put it back down. But I don't want you to walk out of this room without the opportunity. Just say, hey, man, that's me. I need a reset. I need a redo. Thank you. Thank you. Reset. If you're online, you can either enter something in the chat box or you can click the hand that you see. For all of those joining by the Charlotte Mecklenburg Detention Center, same with you. You can just raise your hand and say, that's me. I just need a reset. I, I need to reset my mind. I need to reset my emotions. I need to set my mind on things above. I've kind of just been like a runaway train. One more time, if you need a reset, just lift your hand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you back there. Let's just all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. God, we ask you to clean out anything that isn't of you. Make us fresh, make us new. We believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross so we could be fresh and new and made clean, white as snow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. 
Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.